This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, look at you. Florist by day, student by night. Student by day, nurse by night. Since 1998, Penn State World World Campus has led the charge in online education, offering access to more than 175 in-demand programs taught by our expert faculty. We offer flexible schedules, scholarships, and tuition plans to help you reach your educational goals online. Penn State World Campus delivers on your time. Click the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. That's worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. Good heaven to him and heaven it. Yes, good hamina himina hamina is an all-in phrase which could mean good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day, good night, or good twilight. Because I have no idea what time of the day it is when you're listening to my podcast, but the one thing I do know is, if you're hearing this, you're listening. So welcome to episode 67 of Padarone! Yes, I am interviewing a girl called Jambi McGrath in this episode of Potterooney. Jambi McGrath, an unusual name you might say, and her her lineage is from Kenya. She was born in Kenya. She lives in London, and her name has a silent N in it. I won't tell you where that N is. It could be at the beginning. It could be at the end. And we met up in Belfast, Belfast, where I was doing the Out to Lunch Festival. Now, I was doing it with a couple of chaps from the Father Ted show, um, and uh, Jambi was doing her show at lunchtime on Tuesday. So um, I thought, while I'm there, I'll go and see the show, and then... I asked her if she would uh, do an interview for my podcast, and she uh, was only delighted to, only delighted to. I was a bit disappointed at that. I thought she'd be more than delighted. No, I wasn't, of course. She was brilliant. And um, Belfast is uh, lovely. It was great up there. Remember Belfast used to be in a lot of songs? Remember, I don't know if anyone remembers this, the band Boney M. They had a song that went, Belfast, 
Belfast. When the country rings the living bell, you're lost. Which doesn't make any sense. I don't know what the living bell might be. And then who else did the Belfast? And the police, the invisible. There will be an invisible sun. Bingingy bong, bingy, whatever. And uh, and of course, uh, simple minds with. Um, that song that uh, referenced Belfast because that was the troubles and uh, it was always a way of getting a little bit of street cred wasn't it just to sing a song about Belfast the violence blah 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 I mean it was the only place in Europe really where there might be considered a war back in the time when if you said you came from Ireland people go oh what's it like there oh and you'd be like mm, let's just same just, just get up and just yeah, there, there isn't actually bombs in Dublin. Or you could say there were bombs if you wanted to uh, impress a young lady. But um, none of that anymore. Even if you do live in Belfast, it's much, it's great and uh, much better, I was going to say. <laughs> and uh, there's a, quite a contrast to see what's in the news at the moment because it's the old travel ban, the old uh, tra ridiculous travel ban that Donald Trump uh, brought in. Um, when you think about it, because I remember back in the days when you'd have the troubles here and people would look at the other side and go, they're all savages and bombers and and um, and you kind of depersonalise, don't you, the other side. And that's what's going on with, with Trumpy. And it's not really uh, funny. that Not anymore, is it? It's not funny anymore. It's It's getting very serious. It's getting so serious. I know people make the the, the connection to Hitler, and uh, you still think it, it, surely you know it's not going to go go that far. But it's getting pretty bad, isn't it? Um, it's getting fucking terrible. I think it, probably Donald Trump is probably one reason why you know those self self help books. I believe he was very much a, a believer in in one particular book was the power of me um and that's basically what he is he's just a person who doesn't really think of anything except being winning Win winning and being uh or his idea of successful isn't it it's just like it's um let, let being and his idea is that make america great again okay okay Make America great again, okay? And uh, and he doesn't listen to facts. So it's just he will say something and it, there's no factual contact in, context in it. And, and, he, and it doesn't matter to him, does it? Because it means he's saying what he wants to hear. And that's the power of me. Of, of That's how... That's all that visualize and believe in. Believe in. Say something and then believe in it. Even if it has no fucking, there's no facts behind it. Um, so maybe it's Donald Trump is the embodiment of the uh, visualization, believe in your dream, believe in your dreams um, generation. Maybe, maybe, just saying it might be. Not saying it is or anything. I'm not a genius. I don't have all the answers. You can, you know, I just, I just put these thoughts, I just put them out there. Um, okay. So, uh, I was in Belfast doing that gig and since then I came back 
from Belfast, luckily enough, because I have to. I've got children to look after, you know. And um, I did a gig in the uh, in the in the international bar for some Norwegians. I did. I thought I I did some teaching. I don't normally do it. I te- I taught some Norwegian students stand up, and I know you cannot teach stand up. I know it's ridiculous. I just gave them some ideas, and uh, they were lovely, young, um, positive, happy Norwegians. I just get the idea that up in Scandinavia, they just—it's like a. There's no. There's. There's. They look after each other. They pay maybe huge taxes, but then they don't have to worry about a lot of things. I could be completely wrong, but I just think in this country. And we've got the American idea. It's kind of like uh, every politician go, I'll cut the taxes and I'll cut all the tax and you won't have to pay tax for this and that and the other. But also, there'll be no roads or water or uh, uh, if you're uh, sick or if you break your leg, you can fix it yourself. It's a free country. And I want to give people back the freedom to do their own medicinal operations on themselves and on each other. And not have the nanny state, the nanny state with doctors telling you you can't walk on your broken leg. No, we should have the freedom to do whatever you like with your own leg, you ho, the heedy holies. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Anyway, um, uh, I'm going to let you go because uh, you don't want to be listening to this gobbledygook when you could be listening to my interview with Jambi McGrath. And afterwards, I'll tell you about all the wonderful things that are coming up in my amazing life. My amazing life. That's what I should have called this podcast. My welcome to my amazing life, episode sixty-seven. Oh, it's too late now. Well, okay. See you on the other side. This is Jambi McGrath. Yeah, I'm in the uh, Black Box Theatre in Belfast with Jambi McGrath. I've just seen her uh, one-woman show, lunchtime show. I was absolutely blown away by it. So, um, Thanks for having a chat with me, Jambi. No problem. Thank you for asking. Um, I, I, yeah, I really love the show. Like, uh, I know there's more to it. It's not just a comedy show. There's yes. quite some heavy heaviness yes. in it. And do you find how how do you judge how you're going to uh, how far you're going to take people and then um, till you feel you have to kind of bring them back out again? And, uh, From my previous experience, I realized that when you take people too deep mm. and you keep them there for a while, they mm. can't come out of it, so they stay there. Even if you come back with jokes and whatever, they are mm. already feeling so depressed that you can't get them out of there. So. Mm. I thought the way I would approach heavy subjects is uh, dip them in a little bit and then pull them out again and then keep them there and then the next time dip them a little 
deeper. Mm. And by the end, they're going in and out, in and out. And hopefully, they'll stay with you till the end. <laughs> yeah, no, I find it did really work. Mm. It's a great skill. It's a difficult skill yeah. to, to, to bring people. You talk about abortion. You talk about uh, your father beating you. And mm. still, you can, through that, you've yeah. got people with you all the way. Yes. And... Um, I thought it was brilliant. Thank you very much. It's a courageous thing to do and a <laughs> difficult thing to do. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah so, it, it is, mm. it's quite difficult. But uh, this is uh, my third full hour of that type of show. Mm-hmm. So from my past experiences, I just realized that it, it just changed the the mood completely. Yes, they were, they liked the story, but they felt quite depressed. And I wanted this story to almost completely you know they it just they hate they hate they hate they hate and then you know i don't want to reveal too much about the show mm. and then it, you you change them and uh, i wanted to see that change in people and to see how you know different circumstances can change people's view of someone or something yeah no i'm interested in what you talked about uh for example uh well i don't want to give away too much of the show mm. either but you would say that the reason that your father was the way he was, you, you'll put a lot of it down. Obviously, a lot of it is down to how he was brought up, but, but also you go back into history, the history of the country and colonialism and how that has affected families. And I think that's relevant to Ireland as well. I never mm. actually realized just how similar Ireland and Kenya mm. was until I began to do the research mm. and how basically we've been fucked by, you know, similar forces. So uh, it is very similar, exactly the same circumstances, but, you know, it's been nearly, what, uh, over 60 years since Kenya became independent. Mm. And people say, move on. How can you move on when you have all these, you know, issues that have affected families for so long and they don't understand what happened to them? They don't know what happened to them. Some of them are still mourning. Some of them still trapped in post-traumatic stress disorder. How mm. can people move on? It's very difficult for people to move on. And even I think it's, it's passed down from one generation to the other. Slowly, maybe it dissipates, but... But it's certainly, even now, yeah. I, I think the Irish propensity to drink too much is, is <laughs> actually... Related? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, People but, are but, trying but, to forget or, or... But you know what? If you look at all the areas that were affected by colonialism, if you look at... I was listening to uh, someone talking about the documentary making in, in uh, amongst the aborigines in Australia hmm. and said how they were blown away by their alcoholism and drug-taking. And I thought, oh, my God, this, there's a pattern around the world. Mm. And, yeah, that, that would very v- v- well be the case. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Uh, so you, you grew up in Kenya. Yes. Uh, and uh, um, you did go to school. You say your father was illiterate. But yes. so yes. would your generation yes. have been uh, – would most of your father's generation have been illiterate? Uh, or, most of them. But don't forget, only mm. one tribe was completely affected and those oh. were the tribe from the central province because they were all ejected from their land so they received the full blunt of the mistreatment and everything because obviously they wanted their land everywhere else nobody wanted like the the dry area nobody wants all of that so they wanted the rich delicious land mm. and this is why majority of the people who were affected were so, so there's a lot of guys i know who are my father's age who are all illiterate mm. yeah and then uh, it was your generation would have been the first to start get, getting proper education. Yeah, even mm. before that, like my mm. grandmother was educated. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was ed- educated so she could read and write. 
Uh, and it's only that there's a certain group of when things heated up very much and the schools were closed down and all of that stuff. So it's, it's just unfortunate timing. But, yeah, there are many people who are educated who are way older than my father, but mm. it's just the timing and the way things stand out. Yeah, but my, my generation were uh, the generation uh, post-independence that were... Mm granted all the opportunities you know we mm -hmm. had education and the freedom that they didn't have and yeah and what would, would would have been your what were your ambitions when you were when you were say in your teens what what did you want to do then I knew I, I wanted to have a career. I didn't know what I was fluctuating between lawyer and uh, because obviously they, they, those have to be traditional. But I wanted to mm. become a model as well. Yeah. And I uh, first of all, uh, I wanted to become an hairstylist, and uh, mm. I because in Kenya it was glamorous. Yeah. And then, and then I was told I'm too short, and then I. Uh, when we came to London, I went to a modeling agency, mm. and they said people don't li don't hire black girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Naomi Campbell. <laughs> she's she's about the only one you can think of. Uh, right, maybe, maybe. Yeah, okay, you can okay. only think of two like really prominent supermodels in the last many many Grace years. Grace Jones, of course. Uh, yeah, Grace. See, if you can name three, then it means there's an issue. Whereas you can't name like white models. There's so many. Obviously, this is a predominantly white country. Mm. But so I went to modeling agencies, and even um, uh, I worked for a, a photographer who was a fashion photographer. So mm. she put my name forward with uh, a modeling agency in London and they're kind of still the same. There's no demand for black girls. Mm. And also I was too small, which is weird because I, when she got married, this lady, she, she invited me, obviously because I, was, uh, I used to work for her. And she put me in the same table with the other miscellaneous and... I was just got chatting to this girl who was about my size mm. and I asked her what you do and she said I'm a model. To be fair, most people at the wedding were models given that she was a photographer. Mm -hmm. And I asked her and I remember thinking, God, I wonder how much work she gets. Mm. And uh, I looked at the name on her name tag. Uh, her name was Kate Moss. Really? I now know she got a lot more work than I ever did. <laughs> yeah. She's short, isn't she? Yeah, she's not that much taller than me. Yeah, as yeah. far as I remember. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But obviously, strikingly beautiful. I mean, she's she's very photogenic, and yeah. I don't know what my notions of a model was because even when I looked at her, I didn't instantly think, "Whoa, you know, top model." I didn't. I didn't anyway. I didn't know what I knew a model looked like. I think that might be the case with a lot of photogenic. Uh, models who do photo shoots, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. you may not stick out in actual That's right. real life. But very photogenic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's my small knowledge <laughs> of models. <laughs> not that I hang around with that yeah. many. Yeah. And uh, did you always though? Did you always want to perform? Then you had a kind of performing bug. I mean, I always wanted mm. to be a singer. Yeah. Yes. Right. And I joined the choir from when I was very little. And I couldn't, I still can't sing to save my life. And my music teacher, his name was Mr. Job, and he used to play mm. the accordion. He told me, please don't come back. And I kept coming back. And he said, don't come back. <laughs> it's never going to work out for you. So, yeah, music is my first love, but I can't sing to save my life. I just can't. So I only ever saw myself as a singer. 
and oh. I fell into comedy by accident um, from from my teaching because I'm a teacher, and oh, yeah? yeah, and that's how I started realizing that I could actually make people laugh. Yeah. Mm. So, you, you, uh, sorry, what kind of teacher are you? Are you? Childbirth. <laughs> you, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, antenatal classes. I, yeah, and, antenatal. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And so, okay. I, in my mind, when I first started, because my degree is in IT. Okay. And when I started teaching the classes, I thought, um, you know, my ego here is at stake. I don't want these people to go home thinking, God, that was boring. Because I, I remembered my teachers at school. Some mm. of them were like so boring. And I thought, I'm going to make this class, class really interesting. And I think people laugh, especially when they're nervous. Yeah, they tend to be very nervous when they're, they're first-time parents and mm. stuff. So I thought, what can I say to make them laugh? So I wrote a few jokes. Mm. And I was teaching for a big London hospital. And these people would come at half eight in the morning. And they would come in uh, all nervous, and the men would be rolling their eyes. They're like, why do we have to be here? Look, I thought you on a Saturday morning. Why do we have to be here? Mm -hmm. They would walk in, and I would tell them jokes. They'll be like, oh, that's different. Mm -hmm. So they would be on board. And, mm -hmm. I, and then we, I, we would all laugh and have a great time. And, it, they, and then somebody said to me, he said, I am a, a, a script writer for films. He said, what you want to do is do stand-up comedy because mm. what you were doing is stand-up comedy. Mm. Like, I thought I was teaching. He said, yes, you were, but, you're, you know, obviously you, you did enjoy all of that stuff. And he is the one, he is the reason that I went into comedy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's great. So did you actually go to a little club or? Did you I, just, I went to a big club. You Did you? <laughs> Start I, at the top. <laughs> die at the top. If ever you're going to die, die a massive yeah. death. Yeah. And I went to the comedy cafe. I came home and I told my husband and I said, you know what? Mm. Uh, this guy came to me at, at the end and said, why don't you do stand-up comedy? And mm. my husband said, yeah, why don't you do it? I thought, I thought you were going to be discouraging. He said, no, do it. You? Mm. He said, what you need to do is you need to go to a comedy club and see what happens in a comedy club and so I googled comedy clubs in London mm. the top one was comedy cafe mm -hmm. so he and I we turned up at a comedy cafe we were watching comedy and during the interview I said I'm going to speak to the guy and see what happens if you want to perform so I was talking to the guy no, and he said oh you want to perform I said mm. yes he said okay we don't get many women but if you want to perform Ring me tomorrow and I'm going to give you a spot. I was like, oh my God. So I rang him. He gave me a spot in two weeks. Now, when I make jokes about my classes, I have the subject matter and you can play around with the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Now I have to entertain the public and I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so I sit down and I started watching YouTube about what women comedians talk about. And the top hits were... Of black females in America, and they tend, some of the a few tend to do quite dirty, filthy material. Mm. That's not me. Mm. But then I thought, well, that's clearly what the public wants. They want a woman to come and tell dirty jokes on stage, and that's what I will do. So I wrote a set, and <laughs> that set was uh, too good that I only ever used it for that day. I oh, know, <laughs> and. I did it. I think there must have been, I don't know, 200 people in the audience. Yeah. And uh, 
the way I was dressed as well, you because you don't associate the way you dress with performance and how people perceive you mm. and stuff like that. So I was wearing like a, a short skirt and red heels. And <laughs> one of the main comedians said, if I were you, I would not go on stage dressed like that. Mm. And... And then I knew why he said that, because obviously then, you know, I don't know. So I think it's something I, I've noticed that actually. I think it's actually I think it's other women in the audience start judging you if you're dressed. Really? I, I think so. Well, because, you know, I think guys will probably just, you know, check you out and think, oh, look at the legs or whatever. You know, so already mm. there's a destruction there. And then the Maybe. men are, and then the women are thinking, oh, I feel uncomfortable. Or I don't know. They're judging you. They're saying, oh, look at those shoes. I wonder where she got them from. Oh, my God. I wouldn't wear that with those legs. Oh, my, look at that. Oh, she's got cellulite showing. So yeah, people, I suppose, are so Yeah, I suppose. Uh, just occupied. a distraction. So you just want yeah. to be kind of... Yeah. A blank canvas yeah. when you walk out. <laughs> yeah. So, and then uh, I did a gig with some amazing guy from America. He's just like the most incredible comedian ever. And he said to me that he, you all, because then I started dressing, although I'm not a scruffy person in general, I started really dressing down. Mm. And he said to me, you know, when I go on stage, you also want them to feel that they they've paid to see someone who took trouble to look okay for them. Mm. So he said, I always wear like nice trainers and a nice shirt and whatever. And then I thought to myself, yeah, I have to think about how I dress. So I'm going to maybe get a new wardrobe, but not to overdo it that mm. I'm attracting attention. So I, I tend to, to keep it simple, but don't wear things that I'm going to make them start thinking about what I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much into this. <laughs> no, no. You've you got to think about everything. Maybe it's just about telling oh, jokes. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that bit. Well, well that bit is important. Uh, yeah. I think we. if anyone's thinking about being a comedian, don't think that much about how you look. Write <laughs> some material. Write yeah. some material. Yeah. yeah, that'd be my advice. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, though, how you could get from uh, the stuff that I saw your show here and that is a completely different thing than what you'll see in in your average club. Like, yes. I mean, you can't really do that kind of material. You can't. In a club. People are on a night out, no. I guess they don't want a, a no. harrowing life story. No, no, no. Yeah. Because even like mm. when I go to a, a club to watch comedy, I don't want to hear about somebody's, you know, problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just want to, to have a laugh because I'm escaping from my problems. So, you yeah. know, I'll be burdened. But then I, I, I it, and also it's people's frame of mind. Mm. If you go fully well knowing what you're going to see is a theatrical piece or mm. is a somber piece. So your frame of mind is already there. But if you're going somewhere to watch comedy, then you want that to be comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you get then from doing a club situation to your first show in Edinburgh, which I believe yeah. you say was was quite heavy? It was quite heavy yeah. because uh, my father died at a very bad time in my mm. life and I was distraught. Mm. And I thought I was, I was so heavy in mourning. I thought I'm just going to write a book. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a book. Mm. And so I talked to this guy and he, I told him the story, my, my, my parents' story. And he said, I'm, I'm going to, why don't you write a show mm. and talk about it? And I thought, I, I can't talk about this stuff on stage. He said, why not? He said, there are people who will come and see those shows. 
he said, and also it's therapeutic, mm. the writing of it. And uh, I, so I started writing it. And when every time I used to rehearse it, I just used to take like a few minutes to cry. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, how the hell am I going to be able to stand in front of people and perform this show? Mm. It was just too raw, too biting. But then the more I did it, the less emotional I became. Did, it, I, did it ever get to you on stage in front of an audience? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I so with the the first show that I uh, the, I, I noticed a woman, and then I noticed a couple more times again, and then the third time she came into the audience, I n- noticed she was pregnant, very heavily pregnant, mm. and, I, and then I noticed she was just bawling her eyes out, and and I thought, oh my God, I didn't realize you were pregnant. I am so sorry. Mm. And she said, no, no, this is my third time. And I said, like I thought I had seen you before. And she said, I love the show so much. I keep coming back. Yeah, she, she was pregnant as well. Yeah. So it was it was quite a hard show, and and that that, that the things like that, seeing someone crying, made me emotional as well. Yeah. But I was trying, and I was massively criticised for it. Uh, I think Stephen Bennett said it was the most horrendous show he'd ever seen. Uh, he, he's a great fan of mine. You can tell he loves me. And it's from Chortle, yeah. Yeah. The, from, where, the uh, website. Yeah, he's mm. he's a very open-minded person, <laughs> and uh, he he he's always given me fantastic write-ups, and uh, uh, yeah, he's he's a great fan. Well, he keeps coming back. <laughs> he keeps <laughs> coming back. Sometimes he doesn't remember to whether I'm a man or a woman. You know, he knows I'm black, but you know, he just yeah, fantastic. It's good. <laughs> he's coming back to uh, uh, vent his anger. Yes, I don't know why he's angry with me. <laughs> And so that was that a difficult uh, I mean to the, your first Edinburgh difficult struggle you know everyone's first Edinburgh will be difficult I think Yeah that that wasn't mm. my first uh, performance at Edinburgh because the year mm. before that I had gone with three guys we we uh, oh, really? the yeah. three hunter yeah. yeah yeah but then I was just talking about a compilation of things mm, mm, so mm. it wasn't like a themed show mm. so Bongolicious was my first ever full hour show mm-hmm. yeah and then you've you've done four now is that correct so this is I'm I'm just about to do my fourth one my, my, I've done three okay. full hour shows. Yeah. And but that one, the compilation I did was the f- first time I did it. So I've done four Edinburgh run, four runs. Yeah. But I'm just writing, or just about to finish writing and trying to test for my new show. Mm. Yeah. So in this show you've done, I I suppose I can say that you uh, you talk, you talk about abortion in this show, mm. your own abortion. Was it, mm. I mean, not that no. you were aborted, but uh, yeah. but. Um, uh, is that an, this is an issue in Ireland, obviously. I know. As, as you know about that, okay. Yes. And because uh, the Irish kind of solution to it is we, we just turn a blind eye and all the, all the and everyone goes to England basically for an abortion. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's cheap. Like, it's, it's cheaper that way because it saves on your health service, I guess. Well, actually, yeah, I never thought of it that way. Use but, the English while you can. <laughs> but it also is a deluded way of going, oh, yeah, no, there's no abortion in Ireland. As if, you know, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, people are still doing it. Uh, yeah, and it's a, is it a st- an issue? It's an issue in Kenya as well. Is Kenya a very, very religious country? Is it, oh, is God, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. do you know when the missionaries brought religion to Africa, they right. never knew how big it was going to be. Kenya, I, I'm telling you now, mm. the, the preachers in Africa, they, are, they, they earn the same amount of money like Beyonce. They travel in helicopters. 
They mm-hmm. live in palaces. They have a congregation of 20,000. So, see, that's what we should do. Instead of doing comedy, just going to. Yeah. <laughs> they, the, the churches are mega churches. They're like conference halls. Right, yeah. So you, you can get, uh, you, if, if you can preach good, yeah. Are they does. like the televangelists in America? Yeah. That kind Ex- of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they do miracles live on stage. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so, if, uh, like a, so that issue would be pretty dangerous, really, to talk about, I think, would it? In uh, not Ken- in Kenya. No. So, see, okay. the thing is that the, the religion that we have in Africa there is very different from the religion that you have here. It seems it is very radical religion. See, in Kenya or in Africa in general, we just got like bits of information about God. So mm. he didn't give us the whole picture. Yeah, well, they gave us a picture of Jesus. So now we know that our God is white. But we didn't because you see, my God was actually black because he lived on Mount Kenya. Oh, yeah. And we knew where to go and find him. Like you could take him a goat. But you see, with a new God, he doesn't, yeah. I don't know, maybe, yeah. But so the religion in Kenya is not like that, you know, hard, where people are religious, they believe in God. Like if you went on stage and said something like blasphemy, yeah, they would diss you. They, they wouldn't stone you or kill you or whatever. It's not yeah. like, in, yeah. So it's not quite like that. But the abortion was illegal. And I need to find out the history of why abortion was illegal. I don't know whether it was some of the... Because all the laws that we have in Kenya were inherited from when the British were in Kenya. Yeah, Yeah, even things like homosexuality. But uh, homosexuality is, is a really interesting one because... Like women in my tribe always used to marry. They could marry other women. Yeah? Yes. So like my great grandmother had four wives. And she, yeah. yeah, she had four wives and it was recognized as a thing. But, but, so it was illegal, but no, nobody ever went around saying, hey, what are you doing? And the only reason that has become prominent now is because of the um, right wing, very right wing tea baggers from America. You know, those right wing yeah. evangelical, they are all over Africa trying to turn people against gay people. Are they? Yeah. They come over. That's like, why. Like, that's why in uh, Uganda. Missionaries from yeah. America. Yeah, yeah. That's why Uganda has become very homophobic because they, I mean, the king of the Baganda kingdom was gay. He, yeah. yeah, he was like right. open homosexual. And he was, this was in 1870. He was, he was gay. His name is King Mwanga. Yeah. And uh, the missionaries objected to his homosexuality because they, they said that he was an abomination on whatever. But the Ugandan people were like, no, he, he just likes cock. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong? Yeah. Is there a problem with that type That's of That's amazing, actually, to think that. Yeah. So the homophobia that we see has been imported from. Europe or from America yes. into yes. Africa. Or, yes, because like my, my great-grandmother, so, she was so revered in the community. She was a very prominent woman in the community that they, they have a town named after her. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh, they, and women to this day in Kenya still marry one another in my tribe. Right. What, yes. is, what is your tribe? Kikuyu. Kikuyu. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so would you say that the Christianity is a bit kind of mixed up yeah. kind of Christianity? Yeah. It's like mixed with local religion as well. And oh, yeah. Would, would it be? It kind of is because yeah. my God from my tribe was yeah. known Guy, was called Guy. Yeah. He, he lived on Mount Kenya. Right. And I, I think he still lives there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because even when we pray, we say God of Kirinyaga because mm. Mount Kenya is Kirinyaga. Right. And... 
when the white people came uh, and they told us about uh, the other god, we just kind of called him Guy. So, so maybe our god is quite confused. It's like you know, what? decide. Yeah, is it it's, me you want? Yeah. It's, it's like having a husband called John, and you have another one, and then you decide <laughs> you're going to be John as well. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I, how, I don't know what I'm talking about here. We were but, talking about emotions. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, I, look, I'm interested to know how, like, I don't know if you wanted to talk about it, but how, how the ban on abortion has affected Kenya. Well, everybody knows Kenya mm. from our fast runners. But what people don't know that we have the highest rates of illegal abortions in the world. About half a million every year, half a million girls every year have mm. abortions, illegal abortions, self-abortions, or some of them are performed by people who also brew alcohol and they, they do part-time abortions or whatever they do. Mm. And the result of that is that majority of those girls die or they have life-changing injuries that would mean that they never have a normal life again. Mm. It's a huge problem for girls in Kenya. And I spoke about it in my show last year because I was one of those statistics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, think of a teenage girl. You know, who is it? I mean, it's so easy to fall in love and someone to just say, you know, let's do it and you've done it and that's it. And then you, you're a statistics. Next time you know, you know, you're hemorrhaging in your bed. That's it. Mm. Gone. Yeah. And, and uh, this uh, obsession that all babies are you know that the right to life but yet there's no uh, caring for the children that are born like you're saying they're just left yeah in the streets well yeah. the, the truth of the matter is imagine what it is like in my case i i, I wasn't raped i did it uh, happily because i fell in love but imagine and there are many girls who get raped mm -hmm. imagine at 14 you're a girl and you're in school you're enjoying hanging out with your friends. On your way home, you get raped. And you have to carry that baby in your tummy. You have to give birth to that baby. You have to suckle that baby for a year or however long. You have to look after it. You have to love it. That kid is going to look up to you. It's a big ask on a human being. Mm. So what do people do? They can't deal with it. They throw them in the toilets, in pit toilets. Mm. There's a lot of them. So many girls give birth and they throw... If they, they don't die during their abortion, if they don't die during their childbirth, because most people, you need money. You cannot be seen by a doctor without money. Mm. So you need money. If you don't die from, from that, then when your kid is born, people will throw them in the toilets. The ones that survive would grow up in the streets, basically become parking boys and parking girls where they, they are starved, they are beaten, they are raped, they are abused. Why? I don't get it. Mm. it you know, it's, it's the suffering is so immense that you think who, who makes that decision, who can have a good life and who can be condemned to that life. You know, it's, it's senseless that it's not, it's actually not a, uh, pro-life at all it's, it's pro-pain and it's pro-pain pro mm. and mm. the thing mm. is if they're pro-life they should actually get the man's 
the man castrated <laughs> and that way they'll stop it from the source yeah <laughs> that's a bit harsh well no, it's a no, good no. point though it's a good well, point stop it from the source they absolutely. should absolutely yeah because that is where the life begins yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. so any man <laughs> So actually, I'm gonna cross my legs. <laughs> what they should do is the women yeah. give birth, the men actually be like penguins because that's what penguins do. Oh yeah, yeah. When they when they the, the, the women, child is given to the man. Yeah, yeah. That's what should happen. So the men should be given the task of taking all the abandoned children and mm. looking after them and loving them and caring for them, and that would be fair. If somebody said, you know, this is what basically should happen. Women give birth, you would hard down by, you got raped, you didn't want to have a baby, but we, the men, uh, enforcers of this law, That's true. We, we will come and we will you, look you after the children. You have your baby and we'll look after your we'll look child. After it. Most women will say, you know what? Yeah, shake my hand, it's a done deal. That's the way it should be, actually. I've never heard it put that way, but that is actually makes sense. If you are pro-life... Yeah. Then take the child and look after the child and, bring, right. and love the child. And, and your for, argument would hmm. stand because you would say, you know what? I don't want to see life wasted. And hmm. this is why I've dedicated all my life and my money looking after all these children. Hmm. No. The men uh, and forces, they're like, no, I'm pro-life. No woman should have to do that. And I was trying to explain to, to my daughter this, this concept. And... Is is hard because mm. some people say it's a gift from God. Mm. Surely, if God was going to give me a gift, I would want a Mercedes or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's a gift from God. It's just an <laughs> an accident. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if yeah, if you're yeah. they say if you're raped and you get pregnant, it's a gift from God. Yeah. It's like God needs to update his list. Yeah. Of presents. Well, they talk about the miracle of. Birth, it's a, it's a miracle, it's a bloody easy miracle. Any mm. idiot can do it. <laughs> <laughs> At any time. Uh, yeah, yeah. And usually they are idiots. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, were, yeah, uh, did you enjoy the show here in Belfast? It was brilliant. It's a gr- good reaction. Like it's a lunchtime show and you've yes. got a kind of, um, kind of an elderly audience, did you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, know what? You know, the, the, I suppose because... It's lunchtime, so most people would ever, you know, younger people be at work or at school or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, they say, but then also sometimes, you know, elder people, older people tend to enjoy theater. They've seen it all. They want to see something different. Mm. I don't know. So it, it was. I thought it was a great reaction, yeah. They, yeah. they were very warm. You know, yeah. from where I was standing, I could see them. They were, mm. they, they were like nodding in agreement. So mm. I, I felt the warmth and. Since since I, I've been in Belfast, I've just noticed that people people smile at you. Oh and yeah! I was shocked, and people laugh. You know, people people talk to you. I was like, I live in London. Why are you doing this? Do so, you re- do you really f- feel a difference? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh. you know, the the guys yesterday, like the guy mm. that picked me from the airport yesterday, he was just mm. the best ever, and everybody mm. was so warm and friendly, and I was like, wow, this this is different. Yeah, white people are warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's nice. Yeah. And tell me, what are the... Uh, I don't know if you've touched on this in some of your uh, shows. Um, what, what are the uh, cliches about Africa that you, that you hear from people? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that the way we have been portrayed by the Western media mm. is just pathetic and bad and downright insulting. Mm. 
And I, I didn't get it. When I first came here, I didn't get it. And for a long time, I tried to say, my God, where do you guys find all these people with flies? Where do you go? Where are this, <laughs> those little boys drinking water in a dirty well? Where, where do you find them? You know, because most people will go to the river and the river is clean, you know. And mm. I, I, I never got it. And I was like, I, I need to show these people where to find mm. normal people because this is not representative of Africa. Mm. And then it took me a long time to realize that the only African that they would show on TV was the pathetic children drinking dirty water or the woman that is dying of AIDS mm. or the woman that is dying of Ebola or the death, death, death. Or, or the other side is the war. Yeah, or, or, or the war. Yeah. Or the dictators killing their people. Yeah. And then I thought... Surely, but people must see through this, and people don't actually. Well, it's constant, though. It is fairly. It, it is constant. It's there in your face, and it, it was mm. very interesting because when when I first met my mother-in-law, she said to me, "You know, when when my son said you were from Africa, I was horrified, mm. and I thought, is that a real thing? Is she saying this to me?" And then I understood why she'd be horrified. Everything that's ever been written about Africa is bad and derogatory and horrible and pathetic. And then I got it. It is the justification of slave trade and colonialism and everything that has been done in Africa. And they're still exploiting Africa to this day. Why would you present African people as intelligent human beings who have a culture, who accepted homosexuality, who are very open-minded, who saw things and created things? And uh, Did you know like a lot of cities were destroyed by the Europeans, like the Benin Kingdom? Did you know that the biggest army was the Dahomey women, who they were warriors, they were all women? Mm. All of that history has been suppressed and destroyed because we can't seem to be rational human beings because you want to present Africa as a continent of beautiful, exotic animals. That's it. The people that live there are irrelevant. Therefore, mm. they can be killed. They can be sold into slavery. They can be tortured. The dictators can kill all of them. They, they can do all of this because those people have already been painted as people who are uncivilized savages. And that's when I got it. Why mm. is it everybody knows everything there is to know about all the animals in Africa? You know the beauty, the prowess of a lion. Mm. You know all of that. You know more about lions than you know about the people the of Africa. The actual pe the people, yeah. Yes. And, and, and we are so open-minded, and we have been. We are, like I was reading some of the stuff that has been documented by anthropologists from the 1900s, and like my tribe... We were vegans, virtually vegans, with a huge cross-section of different foods. And they said this, that their variety of foods that they eat is even better than any Western people would ever contemplate. Mm -hmm. And yet, how many recipe books do you see from Africa? Nobody even knows what Africans eat. No. <laughs> no, you don't. You know, if you say, let's go... For an Indian, people will be like, yeah, let's go for an Indian. Let's go for a Chinese. Yeah, let's go for a Chinese. Yeah, yeah. If you say, let's go for an African, people will be like, not again. You know, <laughs> seriously, because <laughs> we... But they do, they're also, I suppose, do you not feel that it's always, like Africa as a continent is a very diverse continent. <laughs> uh, probably more diversity in, uh, in Africa than there is in Europe. Of course. So... Because like you see in Kenya, yeah. we have... 44 different languages and dif 44 different tribes. Yeah, yeah. In places like Nigeria, they have 500. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even a country like Kenya, everybody's so different, so diverse, and so therefore mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, to pigeonhole people. Yeah. Each one of us is different. Like the Amkikuyu, we're farmers. 
Mm. The Maasai are nomads. Mm. Very, very different. They're warriors. Mm. They've always been warriors. They've always drunk milk and eaten meat and drunk blood. The Kikuyus don't, they only ever ate meat when it was sacrificial. Mm. They were uh, vegan. Right. Yeah. So we, and it, we have nothing in common with the Maasai. The right. only thing, yeah. And that's just in Kenya. So, so that's just one tribe, two tribes. I'm talking about the Maasai yeah. in Kenya and, and, and Kikuyu. Yeah, yeah. And there's another 43. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't a clue myself, but I just yeah. would know that it's much more diverse than. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, listen, you've got to come to Dublin. I think you should do the theatre festival. And, um, oh, thank you. We'll see what we can do about that. But thanks, Jamie, for talking to me. It was a pleasure. Thank you very you. much. And I love your show. It's brilliant. Thank it's you. I appreciate that. Brilliant. I loved your show yesterday, by the way. Oh, you were oh. awesome. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I had a really... I, you know, like most comedians don't laugh. I was sitting yeah. in the audience just giggling away. It was so nice. It was very, very good. I enjoyed you. Ah, that's very yeah. nice of you to say, Jambi. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Uh, yeah. I will, hopefully, I'll see you again. We'll, we'll keep in contact. Hope so, too. Yeah. Thank you. bit shy there because she she praised my show you know, i don't like i don't i'm not able to take that am i because i'm irish it's the irish thing but she's a lovely woman jambi and uh i'd love to see her doing that show in uh, dublin well anywhere if you're listening anywhere just uh it is a it is a very if if you have any power in the world bring you to your place whatever you whatever you Whatever you are. Okay, well, um, I'm uh, doing a few gigs coming up that maybe I'd just like to plug. I might as well. I might as well. I might as well. I might as well. Yes, I'll be in the Abbey Tavern in Hoth in Dublin on the 17th of February and the 18th. If you're up there in Donegal, I'm in the Great Northern Hotel on the 18th of February. And uh, also, uh, oh, there's something else I wanted to say. I'll be in the um, Harbour Bar in Bray on the 24th. I'll be on the 23rd in the Blue Haven in Kinsale in County Cork. And I'll be in... um Oh, I bloody be in Yonkers, in Dolan's in Yonkers on the 8th of March in New York. New York, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, oh, excuse me, have you got any fags? Bloody hell, mate. Okay, okay, so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, well, I'd like to, uh, th- what's coming? Eric Lawler will be on the next one. He's the comedian and actor, well known to many people who watch Fair City. And the week after that... Oh, I think I'll have Chris... Well, I've interviewed Christy Dignam and I might put it out the week after that. Or I might just hold it back and let you salivate all over yourself in anticipation. But in the meantime, I'd like to uh, thank um, myself for producing this podcast. And um, thanks, Joe. Uh, uh, no, no, it's okay. 
Uh, okay. And uh, Daniel Rooney uh, for the rune, the rune, the music. <laughs> and uh, that music that goes. That's his. Um, so, um, and I'll put a bit of music on the end of the podcast. You can have a listen to it. I've been putting a few Danny's songs uh, at the end of the podcast. Um, I'll stick one up. You can have a listen to that. Thanks for uh, subscribing. Would you please actually? What I'm, I'm actually serious now. Give me a review and give me a five a rating, five star, five stars. Give me a rating, five stars, and a review, please, because uh, I, I have I've have got some brilliant ones. I'd like to thank all the people who have reviewed and and rated me, rate, given me good ratings, and they're all good. Um, but I'd like a few more because uh, uh, yeah, it uh, just helps the podcast uh, spread the word and it helps to uh, keep it up the uh, charts and give it a boot up the arsehole uh, so uh, uh, um, that's it um, thanks anyway good luck and uh, start talk to you in a few weeks or next week or sometime in the next podcast I'll see you then see ya see ya see ya
listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about axonics therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonics therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about. And it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from axonics therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.